Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Good morning, everyone. And I want to welcome as well our uh, online congregation, our brothers and sisters are watching us on live streaming this morning. What a privilege it is to be able to share. This is our second Sunday that we can personally come and gather together in person. Are you happy with that? Yeah, Yeah, of course. It is so exciting. And we just hope and pray that from here on, it will continue to be like that. And I know that you might look around and you go, oh, there's not many people here. That's absolutely fine because we have uh, uh, members of our church family who are kind of just a little bit cautious and we know that COVID and and the virus is everywhere and you don't know where you are going to get it. And, uh, and, and of course, we continue to provide the streaming so that they can continue to fellowship with us in the spirit and in their homes, even if they're not here physically. That's how we do it. Yeah. Well, how about the first weekend of the school holidays, kids? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> what about the first weekend of the school holidays, kids? Yeah. What about the parents? Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, the parents are not too excited. You see, we can actually kind of maybe not too excited because, oh, I don't know how we're going to preoccupy the kids in two weeks or something like that. But let me tell you, just relax. Just go with the flow and enjoy making beautiful memories with your kids because the time just flies like that. When I look at my daughter, tall, year 11, and I go, oh my goodness. Where did that time go? It's so quick, and you blink, and they're moving out of home, and they're getting married, and all these things. So grab the opportunity to create beautiful memories with your families and with your kids. Well, it is such a privilege for me to conclude our series this morning on uh, being like Jesus. And I think it's about two months now. And today, I will be concluding on the theme, being Christ-like. Now, raise your hand if you grew up in youth groups in the 90s. Come on. Yeah, you might have remembered the very popular wristband WWJD. Do you have one of those? Were you wearing one of those? Yeah, you remember that? Which means, what would Jesus do? Which was very popular in the 90s across the globe amongst youth group and young adults group and even celebrities in Hollywood were strutting the wristband as well. And people think, and, and photographers see them and take a snap and they go, oh, they must be a Christian because they're wearing WWJD wristband. What would Jesus do? Well, the phrase, what would Jesus do, basically became very popular, in particular in the United States, even as early as the late 1800s. Wow, it's not the 90s, actually. Very popular in the 1800s amongst youth and young adult circles because of the book that was published by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. Dave, I think you're just too ahead of me. Just go backtrack a little bit. One slide back. Yes, thank you. Uh, the, The book that was written by Charles Sheldon in the 1800s, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? So it was already very popular two centuries ago. And the phrase had a resurgence in the United States and across the globe back in the 90s. 
It's not so cool to wear them anymore. It's a little bit daggy to wear anymore. But the truth is, still remains. We need to constantly ask the question, what would Jesus do in different situations? So Christians actually use the phrase as a reminder of their own belief and the way to act and the manner that would demonstrate the love of Jesus through their actions and behavior. That every time they see the wristband, they would be reminded if they're confronted with a situation on the street, what would Jesus do? In other words, to prompt them in terms of their response and their behavior. In Latin, it is called imatio Christi, imitating Christ in his purposes, thoughts, and behavior. It is just as old as Jesus himself. Follow me, Jesus told his would-be disciples. Do as I do. The idea has been repeated in the Gospels, even through to the New Testament by the writings of Paul to the different churches. In Luke, for example, it says, If anyone who would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. John 13, it says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. In other words, the call and the command to follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus, his actions, his purposes, his desire for the world, that we need to imitate that and emulate that in our own walk with God. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Excuse me. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow, that you should follow in his footsteps. Amen? Amen? So the call has always been there from the Gospels through to the writings of Paul in the entire New Testament. There is a call to imitate and to follow Jesus. Why do people imitate famous people? Well, first of all, many of today's young generation or some of today's young generation are in the race of seeking attention and want people to recognize them and appreciate them. And so therefore they start to copy and imitate famous celebrities, athletes, you know, anyone that's famous, you know, uh, influencers, and they just begin to copy and follow their hairstyle, their clothing, maybe mannerisms, some habits you know, to look good and to look stylish and cool, and basically maybe perhaps to draw attention to themselves. The question is, is it okay and is it good to look up to celebrities, athletes, and famous people? Well, we can't really say a blanket statement, no, because celebrities, athletes, and influential people can serve as good role models because they can sometimes inspire our children. They can motivate our children to, to work hard and, to, and to, to achieve what they want to achieve in their lives. And, and as they look up to these good role models, there's not a lot of them. Yeah? They can inspire our young children, our young people. Many of them participate in good causes, whether it's environmental related or other social issues. But the thing is, we need to be careful and be aware because many of these people are inclined towards some unhealthy habits, such as substance or alcohol abuse, or abuse of power and position, or even some tendencies for violence. 
And so we need to guard our children as they grow up, even ourselves, and ask the question, who am I imitating? Who am I following? That is the question that we need to ask ourselves. And the famous theologian John Stott basically said this in his final address, which summarizes the whole thing, basically our our topic this morning. And he said, my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth, and it is. God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. That's how he summarized his life and his ministry. So let's look at our text this morning, found in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It's a little bit long, but I'd like to encourage you to follow with me, especially as we unpack this passage. 13, 1 to 17, it says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter, who said said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied to Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have, who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not every one of you was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Father, we just want to commit this passage and this text and these words, and we just ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, we will be able to capture truth that we can apply in our daily lives as we seek to follow Jesus. Amen. 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 This chapter begins the second half of John's gospel, really. John chapter 1 to 12 was focused on Jesus teaching the people, Jesus performing miracles, Jesus reaching to the crowd, Jesus healing the sick, Jesus, it's almost like focused on everybody else. 
But if you actually go through the whole book of John, when you reach chapter 13, this is kind of like a really clear demarcation that all of that has been done. And now Jesus decided that he's going to focus and to invest his final hours to speak to his very own, his disciples. Jesus saw how critical it was for him to really just kind of consolidate and wrap up everything that he has done in their very eyes. And Jesus wanted to make sure that they fully understand the ramification of them continuing to follow him. And so as we read in our passage this morning, we can actually learn as we unpack some biblical truths and principles that we can learn as we seek to desire to grow and become like Jesus. There's three foundational truths for us to unpack this morning. The first truth is this, that be Christ-like by knowing who you are. If you want to be Christ-like, know who you are in God. That is the truth. That is the the foundation and the very anchor. And that's found in verses 1 and 3 in our text. This kind of identity that we have in God that is grounded in the truth and not in human thinking and ideology. The kind of identity and understanding about ourselves that is grounded in the truth and in the word of God. It's interesting to note that in verses 1 and 3, the word knows was repeated twice. It says, Jesus knows that his hour has come to depart from this world and return to the Father. He knows, there it goes again, that the Father has given him all things and that he has come from God and is going back to God. This kind of knowing means that Jesus understood his unique relationship to his Father and that the hour of his death his suffering, his resurrection, and even his glorification, he's kind of risen from the dead. He fully understands all of that. And no matter what happens, Jesus was confident where he was going. Jesus was confident and he fully understood that this is his mission and his purpose on earth, and he's about to go back to the Father. And this was clearly demonstrated in the way he preached, the way he taught, and the way he healed miracles, and the way he fed people. It was very clearly demonstrated in that. There was never a moment in Jesus' ministry that he was unsure of himself. There was never a moment in Jesus' ministry where he was doubting, oh, I'm not too sure about this, if I can do this and, and feed 5,000. Oh, I'm not too sure if I can heal these miracles and these people and perform these miracles. There was never a moment that Jesus was unsure. Walking on this earth, he was very confident. Why? Because he knows. He knows who he is. He knows his relationship to his father. He knows that he was sent from God to the earth and go back to God. In fact, scholars call this what they call a a, a vertical dualism versus uh, above versus below. In other words, Jesus came from above, from the father, sent to the earth below. And when he's finished with his mission and purpose, he's going to go back to the father. And this kind of knowing was very reassuring for Jesus because the Father had given all things into his hands. Not just some things, all things into his hands. Jesus knew that he had come from God. In other words, his being God and uh, the deity of Jesus was basically authorized from heaven. God the Father, 
And Jesus knew that he was going back to the Father. So no matter what happens here, in this dimension, in this sphere, in this world, in this material world, he, know, he knows where he was going. That's the level of security that he had in terms of his identity. Even if people were doubting, were questioning, even if people were not even believing his message for some of them, he knew who he was. And to me, that is key for us. Knowing who you are in God will give you a strong foundation and confidence in stepping into the purposes of God in your life. It will give you assurance and a sense of, of security, not only in this life, but in life to come. Imagine if we don't have that sense of security of the life after. We will be hopeless people. You see, one of the greatest challenges of our modern time has a bit to do with identity. There's never been a time in our history where our sense of personal and individual identity as a person created by God, male and female, has been debated, debated, challenged, questioned, altered by human ideology. Our identity as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is even sometimes considered offensive in some workplaces, offensive in some circles and some conversation. And if we don't know who we are, if you don't know that you are bought and paid at a price, at a cost, there will be tendencies that will creep up among us, whether you don't say anything or you compromise or anything like that. That's why it's very important for us to know who we are. You are unique. God created you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. When you repent of your sin, he will forgive you and give you the right to be called sons and daughters of God. You are free from your sin. Your eternity is secured because of what Jesus has done for you. That is the truth about who we are. And we need to anchor our sense of identity in that truth. Tim Keller said, if our identity is in our work rather than in Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. Our need for worth is so powerful that whatever we base our identity and value, we essentially deify. Careful of that word, we deify. We will look to it with all the passion and intensity of worship and devotion, even if we think ourselves as highly irreligious. You need to know who you are in Christ so that you can live your life as God intended for you to fulfill and fulfilling your purpose and your destiny. You know, God's opinion really is what matters at the end of the day. God's opinion, opinion of you is what matters at the end of the day. The second aspect of this truth is that be Christ-like in serving others, the kind of service that is driven by the gospel. If you look at verses 4 to 11, it's clear there how Jesus demonstrated this. Verse 5, it says, He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. Verse 4 to 11 is an account where after the meal, Jesus stood up, 
wrapped a towel around his waist, grabbed a basin with water, and approaching each of the disciples. You see? I was thinking about that, and I go, you know what? It would have been enough if after the meal, Jesus just collected the dishes. <laughs> Collect the spoon and forks, whatever they use, the dishes, and made his way to the kitchen sink and begin to wash those dishes that they've just eaten. To me, that would have been enough to show that he was humble, that he was prepared to serve to his disciples, that he was prepared to do something that is unthinkable, probably never done before. Masters don't wash dishes in those days. Foot washing was a duty of a slave. Even rabbis did not expect that of their disciples. And yet Jesus demonstrated it and did it. He was God. He was their teacher. He was their master. They saw him how amazing and incredible he was, and yet he was willing to wash the feet of these jealous, ambitious disciples like Peter and Judas. You see, this act of foot washing, it's almost like a, a, a reflection of what took place in chapter 12 where Mary from Bethany came and at the foot of Jesus poured this very expensive perfume and washed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair and dried them with her hair. And, and, and the account says that the perfume that Mary from Bethany poured at the feet of Jesus was costing about a year's wages. Well, what is the standard year's wages in Australia? 60, 70, it's worth like that. That's the kind of extravagance that this woman poured at the feet of Jesus. And here we are, Jesus, getting just an ordinary towel and basin and water, very simple. And yet I believe that it's no less inferior. The extravagance of that is this, that even if it was only a towel a basin, and some water. The extravagance is this. What will take place after he had done this? Why? Because sooner or later, he's going to demonstrate genuine, true servanthood and humility where he will offer his life at the cross for each one of these disciples and for the whole world. There is nothing more extravagant than that. A whole way, year's wage of perfume is not enough to pay what Jesus has done at the cross for his disciples and for all of us. Amen? Amen? That is the kind of service that is gospel-driven. That is the kind of service that's driven by, by, by the genuine uh, experience of God and the reality of God in our lives. Salvation. Salvation that we have received, and it should cause a trajectory in our faith that we will serve even those undeserving. Yeah. Let's look at some of the disciples present at that dinner. Peter, who's going to deny Jesus three times after that meal. What about Judas, who is going to betray him and sell him for 30 pieces of silver? And he has already done so. And Jesus knew all these things and yet he still chose to wash each of their feet unconditionally. Yeah. If it was me, I would have maybe chopped Judah's little toe <laughs> or have a little knife blade or something and just cut Peter's foot to teach him a lesson and say, I know what you're about to do after this. I know what you're about to do. If it was me, 
who kind of knows what's going to happen, that every single one of them will actually run away and desert him at the time that he needed them most. And yet he chose to still do it, to serve them, to demonstrate the kind of service and love and humility that's just beyond comprehension for them. That's why they couldn't take it. That's why Peter resisted. It's like, Lord, no, you're not going to wash my feet. But if you insist, maybe do my head and my hands as well. And the conversation is this. Jesus said, well, he who has had a bath actually don't need that. You only need to wash your feet. I was like, why did Jesus say that? You see, the, th the thing is this. That being clean simply means that the gospel message which the disciples have received, embraced, believed, and trusted made them clean because they have received Jesus, the one who is clean. And yet the washing of the feet is just a constant reminder that we need to do on an ongoing basis as a, a form of repentance in order to keep our intimate fellowship with God. You know, yes, salvation is one-off. Yep, salvation is one-off one experience. But the process of transformation and sanctification is on a daily basis. And so we need to constantly, metaphorically, constantly wash our feet. According to Jesus. I wonder who it is that God is calling you to serve. Maybe not necessarily washing their feet, although I would love that. <laughs> Are you prepared to serve your enemies? People who don't like you, people that have let you down, people that have betrayed your trust. It's actually a very tough act to follow. But let me share with you a story. Back in 1994, from April to June, for three months, the United Nations estimates that 800,000 Rwandans were brutally slaughtered by fellow citizens in a statewide genocide targeting the Tutsi group. About 75% of the Tutsi population in Rwanda were killed by the Hutus. Recent history, hey, 1994. Ten years later, in 2004, Hollywood released a movie based on a true story called Hotel Rwanda. How many of you have seen that movie? Yeah, I still have the DVD. I love it. It is powerful. It received Oscar nominations for Best Actor and Best Original Screenplay and received an award for Cinema for Peace Award. Few years later, after the release of the film, CNN uh, presented a documentary in which a reporter by the name of Christiane Amanpour interviewed a woman in Rwanda named Ifehinia. She was from the Tutsi tribe. And during the Rwandan genocide of 1994, her husband and five children were hacked and killed in front of her by a mob of Hutus, including people in her neighborhood. The neighbor who had participated in the massacre and killed her husband and five children was in prison for seven years. And after he was out, this guy basically was sent before a tribal court where he asked for forgiveness from Iphigenia and the whole community. Iphigenia opened her heart and forgave this person. But it did not end there. Iphigenia, a master weaver, also taught this person's wife how to weave baskets and both of them were weaving baskets and they became business partners. 
On the day that Ephehinia was interviewed by the CNN reporter, Ephehinia had invited the same neighbors into her home and was serving them dinner. That's right, serving them dinner. She was serving dinner to the man who killed her husband and five children. When the reporter asked Ephehinia, how did she find it in her heart to forgive? She said, I am a Christian and I pray a lot. She said, I am a Christian and I pray a lot. Humanly speaking, it is hard to comprehend. However, it is by the power and the grace of God through his Holy Spirit that will enable us to forgive, to love, and to serve even our enemies. That is the gospel. The third truth that we can learn from this passage is that be Christ-like in following God. Verses 7 to 12. The kind of following, the kind of obedience that is motivated by love. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, you will be blessed if you follow them. You see, the call of God to follow him in our desire to become Christ-like calls for the kind of obedience that is actually motivated by love and nothing else. The kind of obedience that is just purely motivated by love. Jesus tells his disciples that they are to serve one another in the same way that he has served them. He said, I'm your teacher, I'm your master, I'm your Lord. I do this, you follow, do, uh, follow my example and do as I do. Follow as I do. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? This really suggests that, that loving as he loved us means that the role of a servant caring for the needs of others without expecting anything in return. His example suggests that we are to do this, not only for those who treat us well, but even for those who disappoint and hurt us. Sometimes it's actually easy to give love to those people that we love. But it is much harder to give love and show love to the people that we don't like, to our enemies, to the people that backstab us, the, the people that hurt us, the people that betray us. It's actually a lot harder. And yet, that is the call. You see, it will be impossible. It will be impossible. Let's learn from the example of Iphigenia. In our desire to follow Jesus and obey God and his commands, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we motivated by love? Let love be the motivation of our obedience to God. We obey and follow his commands, not because we have to, but because we want to. Amen? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. By this, in verse 35, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in our desire to be Christ-like, be Christ-like, be Christ-like in the way that you follow God out of the obedience that is motivated by love. Serving out of the, the, the driven by the, the, the gospel 
and, and, and the, kind of, um, the, the kind of response that we need to, to show to God by knowing who we are, the kind of identity that we need to live our lives that is really grounded by the truth of the Word of God, not some human ideology, but based on the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for the example of Jesus, great example of humility and love and service, great example of unconditional love, accepting even those people that betray him, Lord. Father, we thank you so much. And we just pray, Lord God, that in our desire to be Christ-like, in our desire, Lord, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, in our desire to be God's representative on this earth and the people that we will encounter, I pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will enable us, Lord, to be able to do that which you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.